Coming to you live from the Morningstar Mission Sponsored Studios, this is Carl and Crew Mornings on 90.1 FM Moody Radio. Good day to do some outdoor decorating. I'm going to attempt to string some lights and garland. Good. For the first time. (laughs) Pictures, pictures, pictures. Are you excited? You know, I'm excited to give it a try. I think the thing that I'm most um, nervous about is trying to connect it. So, I mean, I know that I have an outdoor outlet. Yeah. But then where do you string all of, like, the the cords? You just kind of, they just sit there? Well, you can do a couple of things. (laughs) You could get, like, a little storage kind of box that is aesthetically pleasing next to the outlet and where all the excess you can mm-hmm. kind of put in there. Oh, okay. And that way it it looks nice. It doesn't look like you just have this little thing, uh, this little pile of lights sitting on the ground. Or do you have right. like um, shrubbery or trees or evergreen oh, or anything like that? It just, it goes against underneath. conventional wisdom to have all that stuff exposed to the elements. And I know it's totally sure. safe. Sure. But having like cords and all of that stuff exposed to the snow it goes the, against what you were taught, right? <laughs> yeah, you, like Jonathan said, they sell those kind of little storage yeah. spots. Novice here, so if you're chuckling to yourself, <laughs> no, I haven't done this before. I lived in a condo for yes. most of my adult yeah. life, and I've never hung lights or, or done any decorating outside. But my neighbors both, man, they are on it. There's pressure <laughs> when it comes to having a house around Christmas time because. Because when your neighbors go all out, if you're like the only neighbor who goes all out, all out it's fine. Uh-huh. And nobody else really has the obligation to decorate. But if you're the only house that isn't decorating, it's very noticeable. And we are right in the middle of two houses say, that have really, <laughs> they've really done it up this year. Yeah, you and, can't do it. And neither one of them did. Well, we have two new neighbors on both sides of us yeah. who moved in within the the last year. Yeah. And so our old neighbors didn't really do anything. We They threw a wreath up on the door, yeah. which we have done. Sure. But they added in lights and garland this year. And so I thought, <laughs> man, I can't be looking like the house that's not Christmassy. Aww. So I'm going to give it a go. I will let you know tomorrow how my attempt at decorating the outside of my house goes. So I love this. <laughs> Coming up, we have a real treat. We've got Ron Ron Hutchcraft from Hutchcraft Ministries is going to be joining us in studio. And I promised an update. Let me give you an update on Carl. Uh, Do we have a song that can help us give an update on uh, what Carl is up to and why he's not in studio? (laughs) Yes. Carl is not getting married. Just so you know. Just a couple days. He is going to be walking his only daughter. Yes. Down the aisle, and then he's going to be marrying her off. Big wedding this weekend for yes. Carl and his family, so he's going to be out for a couple of days. I love, love this music. It's so good. Oh. Classic. Pachelbel's Canon in D, right? Pachelbel's Canon in D. Love wow, it. Wow, Ellie. It's one of my favorites. I have to confess. <laughs> Sometimes I listen to it just because I enjoy it. Wait, no, for real? <laughs> for real. <laughs> Occasionally, I listen to Pachelbel and Cannon. You know, the the one that you walk down the aisle to, and I did walk down the aisle on my own wedding day, but sometimes I just listen to it because I enjoy it. Do you go for a walk when you listen to it? (laughs) I'm not sure this is walking music. Take a step, stop, take a step. I have it in my headphones as I'm on my walk through my neighborhood, and I just slowly, an hour later, she gets home. (laughs) 
I wonder why that woman is walking so slowly. Why does she keep stopping after she takes a step? Why is she smiling and waving? And she's throwing leaves as she's walking. So we've got lots of wedding stories from Carl when he gets back with us next week. But for now, just just enjoy a little bit of this, as I do. Helping you start your day off right. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. We've got Ron, Ron Hutchcraft with us in studio, just stepped in. He's the CEO of Ron Hutchcraft Ministries. He's also the co-founder of On Eagle's Wings, which is an outreach for Native Americans. He's in town uh, with some of the Native American students who are part of, uh, of the first class of students of the On Eagle Wings Leadership Center. Uh, let's start with just Native awareness. It's it's surprisingly mm. low. You, we've been talking off air, but uh, give give us your heart on this. First of all, good morning, good Ellie. Morning. And how did they abandon you here this morning? <laughs> Carl is not only the father of the bride, he's the father of the bill. Did, did, did you know that also will happen too? This is true. <laughs> you know, thank you for asking about that. 30 years ago, God broke my heart with the Native American young people. I've been in cross-cultural youth ministry my whole life, but I had never met young people with no dreams who believe there is no future because they've known so many who didn't have one. Mm. We know the history. We don't have to review the history. And the brokenness is at a level that I had not seen anywhere. I didn't know there were young people who had a suicide rate three times that of any other kids in America. I didn't know uh, that the rates of drug and alcohol addiction because of the pain of the past and the serial grieving that is part of your everyday life. Yeah. Um, it was was their story. I didn't know that 4% of Native Americans know Christ after 400 years. The first mission field in America is still one of the last great frontiers in this country. Mm. One of the reasons for that is that there have been, obviously there have been so few Native Christians. And when God broke my heart, it was evident that if the only way we were, that we were going to break through to a new generation of Native Americans would be not for me to do it. It would need to be young Native Americans. People, they would be listened to. There just weren't many who knew Christ. Sure. There's hardly any such thing as youth ministry there. And as we began to see some who did know Christ and more and more came to Christ, we went out on teams with them. And what happened was, and over the, that's 100 reservations ago, Allie. I've been on over 100 reservations now with these teams of all Native Americans. I'm the little white guy on the bus praying for them. Mm. And it is amazing. I've seen thousands of Native Americans choosing Christ. Literally, I've watched it. Not me involved. It's Native American young people, the most surprising messengers, because they're known for their brokenness. They're known for all of these awful statistics. They're the only ones who can really break through like this, I believe. And as a result of that, discipling the team, seeing what happens during the summers, how lives change dramatically, we uh, are now praising God that we're part of seeing a dream come true um, a 25,000-square-foot facility outside my office window on our land in the Ozarks, beautiful land God's trusted to us, mm-hmm. the, the On Eagles Wings Leadership Center, to equip Native young men and women to, first of all, overcome the vulnerabilities that come from being in, growing up in such grief and such pain, and then to become the leaders and the models of hope for their people that pr- they can be in a way that none of us could ever be. Yeah. It, it just, it's one of the most exciting things I've ever been a part of. And I've seen a lot, 
This is the best. Wow. This, okay, this Leadership Center, it's a nine-month program, 40 students per year. Yeah. And give us a story of, of one of the students that has kind of captured your heart. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it, w- one of them uh, is a young lady who actually came to Christ as a result of one of our reservation outreaches. And uh, she had uh, was actually uh, con- getting ready to commit suicide. And because of the abuse she had suffered, because she'd been told over and over again by her family, you are a mistake. You are a mistake. That's her, who she, that's what she thought her name was, wow. mistake. And she was going to act on that. And she came and heard a hope story. That's the power of these young people. Their stories, get the Kleenex box ready, but get ready when they tell about a brown-skinned savior. Hello, he wasn't blonde-haired, blue-eyed. Yes. Didn't look like me or you. Yes. He, was, he was a Mediterranean Jew from a tribe on land that had been taken over by, and you know, take, and inhabited by others, um, and died a violent death, just like on the reservation. Mm. Uh, she is now at, uh, at the leadership center, she has become a, a, a an incredibly articulate native young person. Uh, and when she gets up, she prays before she goes out, dear God, help me see what you see when I step in onto that basketball court and talk to these kids whose hearts have been hardened by pain and by sin. And she will break through and command their attention with her story. She just uh, wrote a paper uh, from on uh, some teaching we had done and, and she said, I thought I might know everything when I came here. And she said, I am, my life is changing here uh, since, since I've come to the Leadership Center. We hope we can, there will be healing take place for the broken pieces inside. And then that there will be a practical equipping and in, in an indigenized way mm-hmm. <laughs> to reach into a Native community and show what it looks like for a Native American young person to be a follower of Christ. That's what will break through if they can see it. And there's there's an alternative that is called hope. And honestly, hope is on the way, Ali. Hope is on the way to Native America, and it looks like Native Americans. Ron Hutchcraft, that's who you're listening to right now. He's the president and CEO of Ron Hutchcraft Ministries. We're talking about the On Eagle's Wings, which is an outreach for Native American young people. Uh, closing closing thoughts here. You know, I'm still kind of struck by, you know, you think about unreached people groups. You think yeah. of... You think about some place far off, mm-hmm. remote, in a jungle where, you know, maybe there's not paved roads and it's difficult to get to. But these are people living right here, but only 4% of Native Americans are professing Christians. 400 years of missions. First Bible translation was for Native Americans. Uh, this, we're going back in the 1600s. You know, there's a double blindness alley, and I believe it's an enemy strategy. He's blinded Native Americans to Jesus by convincing him he is the white man's God. Mm-hmm. And there's some things in their history that would make them think that. But Jesus had nothing to do with them. Yeah. Secondly, he has blinded American Christians to Native Americans. Some people are listening right now and they're going, I had no idea. Yeah. So what can the person listening do who maybe will not ever see this program right. in action, uh, but maybe their heart is stirred that, wow, this is this is a group of people who who needs more of our attention for sure. I'm going to give you a web address and it will answer a lot of questions for people. Hopefornativeamerica.com. Hopefornativeamerica.com. And that will, uh, you'll get to hear it from Native young people themselves. The Native Americans need advocates, Allie, in the local church. 
somebody who will learn about them and be a voice for them, for they often have no voice in the missions committee meetings at the missions conference. Somehow, we've looked around the world, which we're told to do, but we've looked right past the first Americans. What? And, and here they are just dying in the shadows without knowing, having a chance to know Jesus is the God who so loved the world. Mm. And very much like them, his life was very much like their lives. And we, if we can empower young Native leaders, that's the way to make a difference. It's not so much little Ronnie running off to the reservation, okay? <laughs> sure. Uh, I'm a little pale for that, but I can be there supporting them and investing in them. Little did I know when I went to a reservation to speak 30 years ago that God would ask for a big chunk of the rest of my life. Yeah. I'm so glad he did. I am so rich because of Native American believers. They are bold. They are fearless. Uh, they weep over lost people. I wish my folks did more. Uh, and uh, they are resourceful, and they can read a heart like nobody. I, when they're quiet, they're reading your heart, Allie. They're reading my heart. Wow. They're awesome people, deeply spiritual. When Jesus gets a hold of that, fasten your seatbelt. Billy Graham said, these forgotten people are the sleeping giant who perhaps could become the evangelists who will reach America for Christ. Wouldn't that be just like God wow. to use the people almost annihilated mm -hmm. to become those who end up bringing us back to Christ? The website is called hopefornativeamerica.com, hopefornativeamerica.com. Ron Hutchcraft, our guest this morning. Thank you so much for taking the time. Allie, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. My goodness. Go to hopefornativeamerica.com. You'll find, I'm looking at it right now, lots of stories there, opportunities that you can contribute to this ministry, hopefornativeamerica.com. Your shot of hope to make it through the day. It's Carl and Crew Mornings. Well, quick plug for you. I want to make sure you know about 12 Days of Christmas, which is a tradition around here. We get a tree up, we pack it with gifts, but not for us. The gifts are for you. And then we unwrap them as we lead up towards Christmas. Go to carlandcrew.org, carlandcrew.org. Click on 12 Days of Christmas. You'll see the entry form. Enter once and you're all set, but this will kick off officially on Thursday. Dr. James, no, James Coakley. I've got a sheet in front of me that says Dr. James. I never called you that. <laughs> no, that's, uh, I'm a Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jim Coakley, <laughs> professor of Bible here at Moody Bible Institute. He's also an elder at 180 Chicago, uh, pastored by our own Carl Clausen. Thanks for joining us in studio this oh, morning. Oh, it's great to be with you. And I always enjoy Christmas season. It's the time of year when I came to faith. And so I that's really enjoy right. yeah, I talking about the the Bible and how it relates to Christmas. Give us the quick story, because I, as soon as you said that, I, I I know your story, but you did come to faith around Christmas time. Tell us the yeah, story. Yeah, I was uh, midway through my senior year in high school. I was, uh, again, uh, going down so many wrong paths, uh, but uh, some people from, I was in the choir at school, and they invited me to come hear the gospel, uh, to hear them sing, and then I heard the gospel afterwards, and so mm. it sounded too easy. Uh, again, receiving Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation as a free gift, I I didn't have to earn it. Uh, it made no sense. I thought I had to work for it like everyone else who's following a religion. Right. You have to earn your salvation. Uh, but about a month later, January of 1979, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and received the best gift of all, 
the oh. gift of eternal life. And then the one little part that you left out, I know for brevity, but the person who invited you, there was a couple of girls who invited you to watch them sing at the church, right? Yes, there one was. One of those girls ended up being your yes, wife, yes. right? You and ended so up I received her. a double blessing. Double blessing. So this is a special time of year for yes, you. Yes, it is. Now, this verse out of the book of Isaiah, out of Isaiah 9, is quoted so often this year. I want to, around this time, I want to read this to you. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. And then it goes on, but that that to us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder. We hear that a lot this time of year, but I was reading in uh, my own personal devotional time, I've been reading in Isaiah, and it struck me different. When you, when you take that and put it into the broader context of what was happening and why this pronouncement, this prophetic announcement was so significant. Give us a little bit of an overview. Uh, when you back up, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That's how Isaiah 9, 2. Who was walking in darkness and what kind of darkness is being described here? Yeah, first of all, I have to remember Isaiah was told, hey, nobody's going to listen to your preaching. Yeah. So basically when he's called, he said, you're, you're going to stop the ears of the people of God. Uh, and so don't expect a lot of uh, fruit, as it were, from your ministry. Uh, and so really then what's talking about, this is a dark period in Israel's history. Uh, again, we hear in thinking about Ahaz in chapter 7, mm -hmm. uh, how the Assyrians are coming, uh, but the local people, uh, again, neighbors to the north, the nation of Israel wants Ahaz to join in with them to kind of fight the major, major superpower, the Assyrians. Uh, but the Assyrians are really putting pressure. They're the ones coming in. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Tigbath Pileser III, a big name here this morning. Yep. <laughs> so he is uh, coming down from Assyria, and he's putting pressure on the northern part. We hear about Zebulon and Naphtali, mm -hmm. uh, they're the areas that are being the first wave of attack coming from the north. Uh, and so that's the area now that's getting the darkness, as it were, of the Assyrian mighty empire. And so that's now the darkness in which uh, this is uh, now the context of what's going on here. And so Isaiah, in the midst of that, is weaving in not this mighty empire, but a child. Uh, again, we think about the miraculous child, the uh, virgin birth, so to speak, that happens in Isaiah 7:14, and then we hear all these names. And so now we're going to get the completion of that child development theme yeah. of Emmanuel, God with us in the midst of that darkness. Hmm. Now, there was a lot going on. I mean, there were, this judgment was coming. So this was the hand of the Lord coming down on his people who are even called his enemy. The, the people of God have become the enemies of God. Yeah. The Assyrians are used, uh, God says, they're the rod of my wrath. Uh, they're the ones that are using, I'm using to judge, to, in a sense, uh, bring out uh, execution of justice on my own children. And again, that was a problem for all sorts of people in the sure. Old Testament. Habakkuk wondered about the Babylonians doing the same thing. How could you, God, how could you use a more evil empire than we are to chastise us? Now, Isaiah is going to go on to say, well, Assyria overstepped that bounds. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to just you know, in a sense, do God's bidding, but they in pride went and did more. Yeah. And that's when God had to wipe them out. Yeah. Uh, but we have this notion of these battles, the day of Midian. That goes all the way back to Judges chapter six through eight, when we hear how Gideon wiped out the Midianites. But notice how 
God worked in that situation. Uh, we talk about signs. Uh, Gideon got a whole bunch of signs uh, because he was fearful. Uh, Ahaz was fearful, but he didn't want a sign because he didn't want to trust the Lord. Mm. Uh, but here we have now how God is going to work, how he worked in the day of Midian. He's the one who brought wreaked havoc among the uh, Midianites to kill each other. And then Later on, when Hezekiah is dealt with with the Assyrian army coming, 185,000 are going to die, not because of the army of the Israelites, but because God sent a an angel of death, as it were, in the midst of their camp. So God is fighting for them. God is with them. That's yeah. the whole theology of this 7 through 9 section, Emmanuel, God with us. Mm. But if the people would only turn, and there are opportunities, but still God's people are hard-hearted. Just like we are so yeah. often. And that's why at the end of chapter 8, it says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Yes. So the idea is God is, in a sense, hiding himself because they're in sin. They're rebelling. And so he's not obligated at all to give the blessings of that. He's still with them, but he's not obligated to give them the blessings. And so the lesson is trust. And that's what Ahaz does not do. Hezekiah, thankfully, would do that later. And so that's the real lesson for all of us in this season is who are we trusting in the midst of the darkness all around us? And so you're going, well, man, I don't know that I've heard that part of the Christmas story. That didn't make it on the Christmas card. Oh, you got to have context. What does Carl always say? Uh, any text out of context is pretext, which pretext. it took us a while to figure out what that meant. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jonathan and I both admitted we nodded along for a lot of years before. <laughs> what exactly does pretext mean? Yeah. Yes. Context is important. So you've gotten the, the dark side of this, that there's destruction coming. There's the judgment, the wrath of God. Oh, but Isaiah nine, this glimmer of hope, a rescuer is coming. What is the impact that this child will have coming up more with Dr. Coakley? We've got Dr. Kevin Lehman with us right now. Internationally known psychologist has been featured. New to the show? Stick around for a while. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. Well, in the midst of God's judgment on his people who have turned against them, against him, who have become haughty, who have turned to the things of the world, who are looking to rely not on him, but on other powers. It's a dark time. And then this pronouncement that a child is born. Face value, you'd think, okay, we're talking war and conflict and oppression and a child, a child is going to rescue us. That's really what's so amazing about how God works. Uh, here we are thinking that we need a, a warrior guy. Right. Uh, we need somebody and we'll get to there. Uh -huh. I mean, because we're going to talk about this supernatural nature of this child, uh, but we start with a virgin giving birth, uh, and then we talk about how we use these names to give messages, Emmanuel, God with us. But now we have this child is born. That's going to be our salvation. That's going to be our deliverance. Again, very different from how the world expects us to deal with darkness, to deal with, uh, again, an evil empire, so to speak, uh, kind of overshadowing us. But that's just how God works. So for to us, a child is born. This us would be the the world. Right? Yeah, to us, but I mean, primarily it would be thinking about the lineage of Israel. Okay. Uh, because we're speaking about the house of David, uh, Judah specifically, because they've already split or they are splitting uh, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, and so Isaiah is uh, ministering to the southern kingdom. He's a court prophet. Uh, and so he's trying to encourage the, the royal house of Judah to be able to trust in God. And so this child is what they are looking for. A birth announcement is really what's going to bring about 
uh, the peace that everyone wants in their hearts. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. What does that mean? Yeah, the idea that he's going to be, again, the ruler of all. So he is going to be uh, the one through whom all the nations of the world are going to stream to ultimately. Uh, but we have the uh, fact that he is going to be the one that's going to rule and reign. And so we're talking about this kind of millennial messianic type of rule. Uh, of course, Jesus came that we know, but he didn't inaugurate that ultimate rule, the kingdom rule that he will ultimately. And that's what we look forward to. And then we're going to spend some time this this week really unpacking these titles. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, give us a word here. We're going to spend some time today on Wonderful Counselor. But just in general, these are four separate titles that denote kind of different roles and different levels of or kind of points of impact. Right. So basically, you have to remember, Isaiah is using a lot of these double names, uh, Shir Jashib or Mahar Shalhel Asbaz, the haste to the booty, haste to the spoil. Uh, and so these are double names as well. So we're using this kind of using of names in a very special way. But we're noticing that we're putting in kind of the combination of humanity and deity mm. uh, together in all of these names. Uh, and so this is just a wonderful passage that sets up the ultimate rule of this child king. Dr. Jim Coakley, always good to have you in studio with us. Always great to be with you, Allie. Talking about Jesus and having fun while doing it. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. We've got Dr. Kevin Lehman with us this morning. He's made house calls for hundreds of radio and television programs, including uh, the Today Show, CBS, The Early Show, Fox and Friends, Oprah, The View. He's also been a consulting family psychologist to Good Morning America. Dr. Lehman, how are you this morning, my friend? Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you guys. I haven't talked to you in a while. I know. No, I'm always good. I'm always good. Would your wife say the same thing? Well, here's the thing about Mrs. Uppington. Yes. Uh, she's, ha she's half raccoon, okay? So she is still slumbering. And about 11 o'clock this morning, she will come out of hibernation. <laughs> And so then, then she can keep you in line. So you well, just. Well, she's the, she's the firstborn. I'm the baby. We have oh. conversations like this all the time. She says, you're not going out like that, are you? <laughs> and, and I said, what's the problem? She says, you got a big spot in your shirt. Only one? Don't worry about it. I'll be back in an hour and a half. <laughs> That's great. All right, Dr. Lehman, you're, you're teeing us up here with Birth Order. We want to get into that. One of your best-selling books of many is the Birth Order book, Why You Are the Way You Are. I'm going to go to the story of Joseph because I've been preaching through the 17 chapters in Genesis of Joseph. He is one of the younger born. He was the sibling to first uh, of, of Benjamin. Talk about a dysfunctional household. It, can we learn anything in Joseph's story about birth order? Oh, what, yeah. what does it matter that he was the youngest? Well, us youngest children, you know, pretty simple, fun, never met a stranger, good at getting around things. We earn a living looking up because we look at our older siblings, you mm. know, as they turn left and right. So we handle things well. All your major comedians are youngest children in the family for a reason. I do firstborns go okay. to the top of the class, of course, and nobody cares about the middle child. But us babies, we're just down at the bottom making noise and trying to have fun. Yeah, that's outstanding. What about the firstborn? There's a lot said about the firstborn. Is it myth or is there truth to it? To help uh, demystify, what is what does it matter? Firstborns rule. They rule the state of Illinois. 
the governorships, the uh, our leaders, presidents of the United States. I mean, every firstborn listening, here's the fact. Your parents, well, they practiced on you. You were the lab right of the family. They didn't know what they were doing. They finally got a knack of it after number two or number three came along. So, you know, part of what troubles people in life, I think, are those people who walk around thinking, you know, I got to be perfect. And only children and firstborn children sort of gravitate toward that area. One of the things I've learned in my life is perfection is slow as suicide. I mean, God gave us the perfect one when he gave us Jesus. Yeah. And so many people struggle. I, I like to make the point that, Carl, you know, the, the sin you're going to commit next week, I got news for you, folks. If you're a believer and you love Jesus, it's already forgiven. Yeah. And, and a lot of people have a hard time with that. They, they get a little too tied up in the laws of it all. And, you know, on top of that, we got parents today who bring kids up to feel like they're the center of the universe. If that's true, then where's the room in that kid's life for God? So yeah, good word. It always comes back to God. God's got this. We just need to draw close to him. And, but we do have interesting personalities, and that's why myself as a youngest would be very happy with an oldest and most of the time, my wife is happy with me as the youngest. <laughs> I, just, I just sometimes forget things. Yeah. Dr. Kevin Lehman, internationally known psychologist, author of the Birth Order book with us right now. Well, lest we forget about us middle children, we've talked about the oldest and the youngest. Can we get a little love for the middle child? That's me. Well, it's only because I like you that I'm going to share this. Because <laughs> most people really don't care about you. If, <laughs> If you're a middle child, okay, and you got an older sister, I got news for you. You get hand-me-downs. You're the fewest pictures in the family photo album. <laughs> but, you know, I write in, in the birth order book that middle children are really the peanut butter and jelly of sandwich because they go with about everything. In relationships, they're a good buffer for that firstborn or only-born child, and they get along with everybody. They even match up pretty good with us babies. So middle children get a bad rap. But somebody did go to the trouble of counting the work, the pages in my birth order book, and they said, do you know you devoted the fewest pages to the middle child in your family, Dr. Lima? <laughs> and I just said, you know, hey, babe, roll with it. You know, I, I can't do everything. <laughs> okay, okay. Coming up here in a moment, I'm going to take this a little bit deeper here because I am a middle child as well. However... My big sister is five years older. My little sister is five years younger. Did that throw a little wild card in the wrench? Because I got to tell you, my folks, and now you might dispel this myth, but they feel like they've raised three firstborns in some ways. Does distance in age have anything to do with anything? More with Dr. Kevin Lehman coming up. By the way, we're going to have a website for you guys because you're going to want to go there and get some resources. All y'all, hang on. Got to go into work? Don't worry. Check out the Carl and Crew Showcast wherever you like to stream. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. We've got Dr. Kevin Lehman with us right now. Internationally known psychologist has been featured just about everywhere. Good morning, America. The Today Show, uh, birtorderguy.com. He's written a book about birth order. It's a classic bestseller. Birtorderguy.com. That's you the know website. What? I got to tell you something. That just fits Dr. Lehman to a T. Good to have you with us today, Doc. Okay. Uh, my big sis my is my big sis, five years older, little sis, five years younger. Um, Go ahead, analyze me. What's going on? Is there is there anything to well, this distance in years that changes birth order a little bit, or no? 
Yeah, if there's a five-year gap, you draw a line to start another family. But I would hazard a guess, Carl, that uh, and you are a firstborn uh, son in your family. Yes. But I would hazard a guess that you probably understand women more than most of us as men do, just because you grew up with them. You you know you had the bookcase, you know, and you were in the middle. So you learn from older sister, and you learn something from younger sister, but. We tend to learn more from siblings above us than beneath us. Well, the answer to your question is, I think that's true. However, my co-host, Allie, is in here shaking her head violently, (laughs) no. But that's just because she's a cantankerous middle child who loves to take shots at people, Doc. Well, that's good. So the families have changed a lot over the years. Let's talk a little bit about one, only children. And then families tend to be smaller. So this idea that there is a middle child, when you have 2.5 kids or whatever the statistic is, do these still apply for only children and to smaller families that maybe have just two? It does, Allie. But it's interesting. You're right. The average family today, last time I looked, was 1.9 children. Oh, it's come down. Wow. Wow. Come down. And, and with all the divorce, I mean, I wrote a book on blended families, uh, his, hers, ours. Birth order is not, I know people want to make it just cookie cutter, but it's not. It, it's involved. And I do, I do a lot of speaking in the business world to CEO groups and stuff, and they love the whole idea of birth order. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, of course, those CEOs, those presidents, those surgeons, those engineers, those accountants in life, are what? They're firstborn children. So middle children, God bless them, again, they're mediators and negotiators in a very natural sense. Youngest will use their manipulative ways of getting around things, and they're very affectionate, but middle children can be very affectionate too because they're not quite sure where they fit in. They have the older sister or brother over them, and then little schnooky is a little attention getter, and that's a hard place to be. What about only children? Only children do very well in life. By age seven, Allie, they're little adults. They tend to enter occupations, for example. Well, the astronauts in outer space is sort of interesting. Uh, The first 23 into outer space, 21 firstborns, two onlys, not a middle, Allie, or a baby in sight. And that's something. That is empirical data. Okay, Dr. Kevin Lehman, our guest right now, if you want to get some phenomenal material, go to birtorderguy.com. That's birtorderguy.com. Dr. Lehman, let's take this to the church. How can the church benefit from understanding birth order? They pick up a book and they go, all right, well, what's this got to do with the body of Christ anyway? Well, the original title of the birth order book when it was sent in with rubber bands and cardboard to the publisher had as a working title, Abel had it coming. <laughs> and Abel the publisher said, wait a minute, Hold you can't t- have a title like Abel had it coming. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, you know, if you look at the uh, story of the uh, prodigal Abel. son, oh, okay. you know, yeah. the, the prodigal son thing, I mean, who, who stayed home and tendered uh, the the, uh, the first the firstborn he was the, the good boy and that baby he the bible says he went to a far off land i mean he didn't want anybody even to notice he was part of his family now again it's not a study of family relationships it's a study of salvation i get it but when we talk about families today that's an easy one to pick up on because we have to treat people differently different bedtimes different allowances for you parents out there And keep in mind, and this relates to birth order, identical twins, 
I mean, they're genetically the very same person. They're genetically the same, but they have different fingerprints. Well, why did Almighty God decide to give twins identical fingerprints? Was it to help the FBI, the local police, or was it God's way of saying, you are my son, you are different than anyone else in life? So we're lucky. We can have a one-to-one relationship with our creator. You can drive down the Lakeshore Drive, and you can be talking to the creator of the universe. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I always remind people, Jesus came to this earth, you know, to put an end to religion, not to start one. Yeah, that's right. It's all about our relationships with him that count. So I just think birth order is a wonderful way of just sort of explaining why these three or four little cubs could come out of the same den and be so different. Yeah, it's really good. This is phenomenal content, guys. My wife and I have read this book cover to cover. It is a phenomenal resource, but it's not just one over 50 books he has authored. We want to give you a website right now. Boom Crew, listen to me. This is set down scrolling on Facebook and get a book that actually is redemptive. And we've got a site for you to go get one. It's called birthorderguy.com. Birthorderguy.com. You're going to find a podcast and uh, some other links that will help you get some of these books. Birthorderguy.com. Dr. Kevin, thank you, my friend. I love having you on every time you come in here with the Boom Crew. You are a blessing. I appreciate you guys. Nice to visit with you. Thank you. Dr. Kevin Lehman. Again, that site, birthorderguy.com. That's birthorderguy.com. How about this guy, Allie? Fantastic. Don't you love him? Tremendous. The middle child in me says yes. I think there's some accuracy there. (laughs) There we go. Birthorderguy.com. Check it out, guys. Giving hope directly from the source. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. 12 Days of Christmas, you're going to be hearing a lot about it because I want to make sure you don't miss out on an opportunity to win a gift from us. We will have 12 gifts wrapped under our tree. Starting on Thursday, we will go under the tree each day, unwrap a gift that will be given to a call-in winner and also a winner that we pull from our online entries. So you have two opportunities every day to win, but online entry is now open. So make sure that your name is in there and ready to be pulled. When we kick this off on Thursday, text the word Christmas to 312 274 9624. Text the word Christmas to 312 274 9624. One sign up is all you need, and you're in it for the long haul for the online portion. And then you can also listen each day for an opportunity to call in. So it's pretty cool that there's two ways to win. Better believe it. This is the only time that we do it this way. This way? Yeah. I mean, unless we're doing some kind of special for a concert where we have them. But no, this is from start to finish. A call-in winner and an online winner. Every day. Double your chances. Two people get a prize every day. <laughs> Isaiah 9-6. I've been reading this passage of, of Scripture. I was I'm reading through the book of Isaiah in my own personal devotional time. And when I Isaiah 1 through 8, there's a lot of intense stuff going on. I mean, there is a nation that has, is in rebellion. The people of God are have become the enemies of God. They have turned their back on him. They have embrace the the ways of the world. There's so much. And now they're going to face the judgment, the wrath of God. And it's really heavy when you, when you put yourself in that situation where you go, man, for these people, they, they were, their hearts were hard yeah. and judgment was coming. Yeah. 
And that's the context that this Isaiah 9, this prophetic declaration comes, is to to a nation that knows that there's going to be some hard times ahead, that there there's going to be judgment, there's going to be chaos, there's going to be oppression, the anger of the Lord is kindled against his people. And you go, man, that doesn't really sound a lot like a Christmas message. No, you're not going to hear probably a Christmas sermon about that. But Isaiah 9, you have to, to get the full impact of it. You got to understand what's happening, that this is a dark time in Israel's history. And then you have this pronouncement by the prophet Isaiah, whose name means Yahweh is salvation. You know, I'm going to read a long little passage, but I'm going to key on two words, but bear with me for a minute. I'm going to start with verse two in Isaiah nine. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Here's verse six. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm going to stop there, but it goes on, and it's well worth the read. Did you catch this? People who walked in darkness have seen a great light. There's a lot of darkness and light references in the book of Isaiah because the time spiritually was so dark, but there is a light coming. And Isaiah is prophesying this as if it's already sort of happened. So it's kind of reads kind of yeah. funny because it's like a prophecy into the future that's almost like looking back. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. it's kind of strange, but <laughs> then you get it like, okay, wow, I'm walking in darkness, but now there's a light. There was a lot of sadness, but now there's joy as with the joy of the harvest. There was a yoke. There was a heavy burden. There was an oppressor, but all of that is broken. Why? How? Verse six, for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor. I want to stop there for a minute. Wonderful counselor. Counselor to us means what? What do you think of when you think of a counselor? I think of a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Super die. Talk, <laughs> Same. Yep. Sitting down either on the couch or the chair and just uh-huh. kind of telling my problems. This yep. is what's going on in my head. To a friendly listening ear. Exactly. Who's going to maybe give me some wise counsel. Right. Who's going to advise. Ad- advise me. That is not what this word means here. <laughs> I did. I did a little word study which is fun to do. And it's very easy to do. Quick side Mm. note, you can easily, so a website that I use a lot is biblehub.com because it allows you to look at different different translations, different Bible translations. And then it allows you to also key on individual words so you can see how they were written in the original language. I don't recommend like trying to read large passages of scripture and looking up words this way because (laughs) that makes sense. It will really slow you down. But if you ever kind of want to dive deep on a couple of verses or a chapter, biblehub.com is what I use. So I definitely recommend it. There's my little uh, footnote there. Now back to wonderful counselor. So it's not counselor here. This title that's given to the child that will be born, that will be named Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the Messiah, not 
the person who's going to sit down on a couch and listen to your problems. That's mm. not what it means here. As great as that is, wonderful counselor. Let's just start with this word, wonderful. The original Hebrew language, miracle. So you think of mm. a, the wonder of something, something marvelous, something supernatural. Counselor in the original Hebrew, to advise, to deliberate, resolve. I checked some study notes. One who's able to make wise plans a ruler whose wisdom is beyond human capabilities. It's not a social worker. It's not a therapist. It's this supernatural, miraculous ability to lead and guide an entire nation, including in military affairs. Another way of putting it would be a wonder of a counselor. So a miraculous ability to lead, guide, and rule. Mm. He's a wonderful counselor. What does that mean for you? Well, it means that available to you is perfect wisdom, is not leaning on your own understanding, but he he is the wonderful counselor. He is a wonder of a counselor. He is a perfect leader, a perfect ruler, a perfect guide. His wisdom is far beyond what you or I could come up with. So if he's not that for you, you're missing out. Is that too harsh? No. I don't think it's harsh at all. Yeah. Is he a wonderful counselor to you? Is he a wonder of a counselor? You can go to him today and trust that his wisdom is perfect, that his way is always, always best. Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this show cast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew. As we help you take your next step with Jesus, you're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. Godspeed.